chapter thirteen of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter thirteen and there in a net his heart was holden the return of mr nestorius enlivened the tea-meeting in the spacious library where deepening shadows softened the dazzle of golden colour into a harmonious blending of many tints just as half a dozen faces photographed rapidly one upon the other produce a combination face of greater beauty than the handsomest of the six mr nestorius was not a man who overwhelmed either the house or the salon with floods of talk he was not one to say with gambetta je les ai submergés but he talked well and voice and conversation together had a rare and potent charm for feminine hearers lady carmenau handed him his teacup with a caressing smile we have been perfectly wretched without you she said it is worth all the pangs of absence to hear such a confession he answered giving smile for smile as he seated himself on a creepy stool at her elbow and that is how you gratify your vanity at the cost of our suffering she answered laughingly perfectly aware that lashmar was admiring her from his stand in front of the fireplace where he made one in a trinity of shooters no one could deny that she was lovely the ivory and blush rose tints of her complexion were set off by a tea-gown of sea-green plush with artfully introduced touches of coral pink gleaming here and there amidst the green and even the little foot in its coral stocking and sea-green slipper was a point in the picture poised lightly on the dark red velvet hassock the flowing folds of plush just defined the perfect curves of the somewhat ample form a sensuous beauty perhaps but are not goddesses sensuous save indeed lady sophia's prototype the huntress diana who was never known to make herself agreeable to anybody and who avenged herself for her much vaunted celibacy by killing other people's children yes lashmar's admiring eyes recognized that perfection of earthly loveliness the charm of delicate colouring the flowing lines and gracious curves the alabaster wrist and long titianesque hand fluttering lightly over the low round table with the vermilion tea-tray and ivory and gold cups and saucers could any woman be lovelier or fitter to reign over such a house as lashmar castle or to bring life and light into that dingy old barrack in grosvenor square which required at least fifteen hundred pounds expended upon decoration and sanitary improvement before it would be habitable she was rich too rich and very rich and this was an important consideration to a nobleman who had five farms unlet out of thirteen and whose eight tenants were all 
in a complaining vein the lashmar rent-roll had been diminishing ever since hubert's death and although lord lashmar had other resources and might be considered a rich man there is always an idea of poverty in any diminution of income while if mr nestorius and his brood were ever to get the upper hand again the war against the landed proprietor would doubtless be renewed with redoubled vigour assuredly lady carmenau's wealth was not an attraction which any man in the present day could afford to ignore or to despise lashmar was not in love with her but he began to think that he had been very much in love with her in the days that were gone and that he was beginning to drift that way again perhaps he thought so all the more this afternoon when he saw nestorius seated at her elbow nestorius who albeit fifty-five years of age had more than the charm of youth whose voice had ever been as music in woman's ear the most dangerous man in england thought lashmar all the more because he looked so thoroughly respectable lashmar told himself that lady carmenau had made up her mind to take a second husband and that if she did not marry him she would inevitably marry nestorius i cannot allow her to go over to the opposition he thought and he went across to the low round table found another creepy stool and seated himself opposite mr nestorius who seemed to be making himself mightily agreeable mrs vavasour also in a tea-gown something japanese and fantastical with a cloud of gauzy ecru lace about her throat and chin had her little knot of admirers among whom were mr ponsonby the barrister and the pompous old rector who had called stella his reynolds child and had forgotten her existence afterwards this gentleman often dropped into tea at the castle and dined there whenever he was asked he loved smart people and he liked to hear himself talk mr vavasour was discussing the lines of an intended novel with lady sophia who on the strength of her connection with the sunday swashbuckler considered herself quite a literary person and your plot tell me your plot she asked eagerly plot my dear soul nothing so demode as a novel with a plot nowadays we leave plot to the men who write melodramas for the adelphi the old 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 incidents shaken up in the old bag and tumbling out haphazard in acts or chapters nothing of that kind for me lady sophia my novel is a novel of character my chief incidents well a little look in the twilight eyes meeting eyes across the deck of a steamer off alexandria or in a church at venice an angry word in the second volume a fan dropped and picked up in the third those are the three central points the three piers of my bridge for the rest touch and go lady sophia all touch and go wit satire sentiment introspection self-communing sparkle and play of words lighter than thistledown your books are delicious murmured lady sophia who did not care a straw for any novel without murder arson and bigamy but i have sometimes thought that if you would just for once in a way make your heroine poison her father or your hero drown his wife it would be nice even in daniel deronda now which is such a very superior book there is drowning 
the one blot upon a great work my dear lady sophia said the fashionable novelist coiling up i read that chapter twice over grand court and gwendolen are too lovely i always like the wicked people best there should be no wicked people in a book no positive blacks and whites only delicate tertiaries you don't meet wicked people in society most women have no characters at all it is those no character people who are so difficult to depict and it is in painting them that the novelist shows himself a master of his art dickens's people and thackeray's people are the broadest caricatures pecksniff becky sharp the brothers cheerable colonel newcombe daubs my dear lady daubs as coarse and glaring as the pictures of the fat woman and the living skeleton outside a booth when tried by the standard of modern excellence stimulated by the idea of rivalry lord lashmar threw a shade of tenderness into his talk with lady carmenau across the teacups which was very pleasant to the lady she was quite as much in love with him as it was in her nature to be in love with any man she had never forgotten her girlish flirtation with him or the sweet things that he had said sweet meaningless little speeches which charmed her without altogether compromising him she had never forgiven him for his desertion but anger was latent not active she was ready to forgive him directly to forgive and to adore him to her utmost capacity for adoration would he but return to his allegiance throw himself at her feet and own her as the mistress of his soul surely i am good enough even for him she said to herself this afternoon there was a shade of tenderness in lashmar's voice and manner which seemed to her like the first note of subjection he had struggled against her power and now he was beginning to yield those beautiful azure eyes of hers looked smilingly into his full of promise she was his to take when he pleased a rose in fullest bloom and beauty that he might wear on his breast only for the gathering now could he doubt that if he did not pluck the rose some wiser man would he drew his creepy stool a little nearer to the fair tea-maker bringing clay bespattered corduroy in contact with the lights and shadows of sea-green plush silken shining folds that reflected the glow of the burning logs yonder what have you been doing all day he asked nothing do you know that lashmar is the abode of dullness for your lady visitors well you men are all shooting pheasants i felt tempted to drive over to broome and take my afternoon tea at a coffee palace and hear the operatives talk politics just to get a sensation of some kind so weary was i of this castle of indolence but as i couldn't do that i walked over to the hall and had a chat with mother who insisted upon my going to look at some unhappy beasts that are being educated up to the next cattle show with oil cake and all sorts of abominations and then my poor mother began to cry and said that the shorthorns reminded her of my father not because of any likeness but because prize cattle were one of his fads don't you know and she has taken to all his fads out of reverence for his memory she pretends to be keen upon getting prizes though i know she pities the animals and doesn't care a straw for the fuss and glorification of the thing i hurried across the field to be in time for tea and oh by the by mr nestorius i saw you walking in the park with lady lashmar's reading girl nestorius flushed ever so slightly with a vexed air yes i met miss boldwood in the park is that your idea of meeting to my eye you seem to be walking with her but then i am ridiculously short-sighted i had met her i turned back and 
at the moment you saw us i was walking with her will that do lady carmanal it will do very well indeed so long as miss boldwood is not spoiled by such distinguished notice were you telling my brother's protege the result of your experiments upon those papers asked lashmar no but i will show you the result this evening if you like answered nestorius coolly is it a startling result does my mother's dependent turn out to be a princess in disguise we have not got so far as that but there is quite enough in the transcription of those papers to interest you and to assure you that boldwood's wife was something better than a gipsy i am prepared to be interested said lashmar with a contemptuous air as if he thought the whole thing a farce and nestorius's enthusiasm a sign of approaching senility why not produce the papers at once they might interest lady carmanal who complains that i provide no amusement for my lady guests the records of the dead of a broken heart perhaps are hardly to be discussed at a tea-table i'll bring them to the library to-night when the evening's frivolities are over and you and i can look through them quietly before we go to bed as you please answered lashmar you are the master of the situation do you know spanish hardly a word of it then i am master of the situation for the transcriptions are all in spanish and i shall have to translate them to you it was half-past eleven when nestorius and lashmar went to the library the former carrying a little portfolio with the papers he had brought from london the evening had been livelier than usual and lashmar had hardly left lady carmanau's side to the delight of his mother who watched the two from her armchair by the fireplace where she sat in a kind of semi-royal state with mrs Malsiber for her lady-in-waiting yes it was coming at last the realization of that long-cherished dream of hers she would see job dane brooks estate united to the lashmar acres to say nothing of that much larger fortune in the shape of funded property which the ironmaster had laid up for himself before he retired from business she would see her beloved son attached to his ancestral home by the ties of domesticity his stake in the country troubled his social and political importance extended by increased wealth and clarice the creature whom she had moulded to her own liking would be her daughter yes daughter in love as well as in law she would hold her son's wife as a daughter she whom no girl child had ever called mother mr nestorius seated himself near a reading lamp and opened his portfolio first let me restore the original papers he said handing lashmar a packet they are there unreadable to the ordinary eye you will keep them in trust for stella here are the copies four are love-letters pure and simple written by the future mrs boldwood to her husband the fifth and last is from mrs boldwood's father and is dated two years after the date of the other four and was written as i understand it just before stella's birth it is a letter that may have helped to bring about the mother's untimely death will you be good enough to read them to me asked lashmar hating himself for never having learned spanish such an easy language too a mongrel tongue half french and half latin a language he could have acquired in a fortnight he had scampered through the peninsula allowing his courier to do all the talking for him and he had come to seven-and-twenty years of age without having read cervantes in the original and now he had to sit like a schoolboy and let that universal genius nestorius expound these letters to him nyum 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 began the statesman murmuring gibberish as he ran his eye over the page 
perhaps it is hardly worth your while to hear the love-letters such things are always alike i will have every word answered lashmar if you don't read them i shall think you don't know spanish that is a challenge said miss story so here goes he cleared his throat and began alas dear one i know not where or when i can hope to meet you again not in the church or on the way to church it is too dangerous nita never leaves me and i had hard work to prevent her telling my father of our last meeting i will be in the garden between seven and nine o'clock every evening if there might be a chance that way it would be so sweet to see you again just for a few minutes by the little door while nita has gone into the house on some errand you know how watchful she is and how she always brings her sewing out into the garden to sit with me there is so little for her to do in the house of an evening my father is almost always out of doors at his club or with his friends how can you talk of your shabby coat dearest do you think i value people for their coats and if you are ever so poor now you who are so clever are sure to be rich some day for if you are always poor it will make no difference to me nita says my father has a large fortune but i have never seen any sign of riches in our house we have no fine furniture or plate or jewels only the things that my great-grandfather had before the peninsular war we have all we want but no more if you could only see my father and talk to him and get his consent to our marriage i should be the happiest girl in madrid yours everlastingly inez the next letter was more impassioned and glanced at past meetings at vows interchanged the next again was a still wilder outpouring of the girl's all confiding love no more talk of the father's consent all was surrendered to the lover whatever may be your fate i will share it i will go with you to the end of the world a second suitor had appeared of noble family wealthy middle-aged favoured by the father the girl shrank from him with loathing flung herself into the arms of her out at elbows englishman take me away from them dearest she pleaded or my father will make me marry that man he raged with anger when i told him that there was someone else i cared for he swore he would lock me up till my wedding day take me away juan make me safely your wife before he can lock me up no dearest i am not afraid of poverty with you the last of the four letters was the briefest arranging a rendezvous which was to end in an elopement then after an interval of two years came the father's letter brief icy incisive you chose your own path in defiance of me you may keep to it whether it leads you to the gutter or to the grave is of no matter to me you disobeyed and you deceived me for the sake of an english adventurer you have your recompense in your adventurer's love you say that he is still devoted and that by the labour of his hands he earns your daily bread you are better off than you have any right to expect to be you the disobedient deceitful daughter you tell me that a child will soon be born to you and that you would win my forgiveness for yourself and bespeak my love for that unborn child i answer you that i have plucked you out of my heart that you are for me neither loved nor hated but non-existent as for your unborn child there is no beggar's brat about to be spawned in the alleys of this city whose birth will be more indifferent to me x o these initials were the only signature the only address was madrid difficult to trace the writer by such indications are the language and orthography those of an educated person asked lashmore undoubtedly and the date would agree with that of stella's birth then we may dismiss the idea of a gipsy origin i think so 
this exo may have belonged to the professional or the commercial classes there is nothing in the girl's letters to imply that her people were noble and indeed her father's eagerness to marry her to a suitor of good birth indicates that such a marriage would have been promotion and this vindictive father is perhaps the original of the miniature most likely answered nestorius closing his portfolio the costume is that of five-and-twenty to thirty years ago a spanish girl's elopement with an englishman must have occasioned some talk at the time even in so large a place as madrid and by careful inquiry one might find out all about the business i take it very likely but the game is not worth the candle this vindictive old wretch has positively renounced his granddaughter nothing would be gained by unearthing him who knows nineteen years may have made a considerable difference in his feelings if he is still alive a lonely miserable old man he might be very glad to acknowledge the granddaughter of whom he wrote in such brutal terms my dear nestorius it is so like you to see the thing in that rosy light you have but to take up an idea to be interested in the question and that fiery spirit of yours breathes around it and wraps it in a luminous atmosphere in which all outline is lost how much more likely that the old brute is dead and rotten or if alive so much the more a brute by the passage of those nineteen years anyhow i shall not turn sleuth-hound and hunt him what are you going to do with those copies keep them they can have no interest for you they can have none for you as they are in a language you don't understand i am on the point of taking up spanish it has always been a reproach to me that i am not able to read don quixote in the original i will give you a translation of these letters and keep the spanish for my pains upon my soul one would think you were smitten by that girl of my brothers i am not smitten by her but i am deeply interested in her fate good-night good-night answered lashmar moodily there is something particularly exasperating about that man he said to himself as he lighted his candle i should like to know whether he is or is not in love with lady carmenow chapter thirteen